Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Crosswalk family, friends, guests, it is such a delight to be here, spend our time worshiping, considering as we finish the Elemental Season 2 series, this is the last, the last day of our Elemental Season 2 series. Those of you who are going to be here next week, a little side note, we're going to have a little bit of an epilogue next week. But anyway, this is the end of this particular series, and we've been digging around in um, some, some good stuff, some good stuff. In season one, we were talking about the challenges of doubt and questions and whether God is put off by that or does he walk pretty patiently through all of that with us. What does it mean if I have questions? What, if, what does it mean if I'm struggling with belief? How does God feel about all that? And what we kind of, what we really remind ourselves from scripture is that God is the patient one in the relationship. And he is not put off by our questions. But as we got into season two, we started talking about, well, okay, it's not just about taking things apart and sitting around in, in discomfort. and dis- That's not the goal, even if God is patient with it, even if Jesus understands our doubts that we go through. He, he's hopeful that we would even rebuild. And so we have talked about some of those most important pieces to consider as a part of our faith, no matter what kind of confusion, doubt, or questions you've ever gone through. And look... Somebody else could say it differently or pick something else, but here, the bedrock foundation piece we can go nowhere without touching it is Jesus, 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 Jesus Christ. Everything, I don't believe you can open up the Bible and consider some portion of scripture and somehow disconnect it from Jesus. That's a gymnastic I'm not familiar with. And as we think about what, what we might continue to build our house of faith, as we, as we think things through, one of the second things we talked about is that a relationship with Jesus is all about pursuit. He pursues us. What about me? It's not actually about capturing him. It's not about actually being able to fully understand or describe. That will never be exactly what the aim here is. It's about this hot pursuit of a relationship Husbands and wives, we know this. Good relationships are not about getting to the place where you can predict perfectly everything about that other person. If it is, well, we're in trouble. Maybe by a raise of hand. Husbands, how many of you can tell me everything exactly, not just what, but why your, your wife believes it? Do you understand everything about it? Anybody here who's going to just walk their way right into counseling? No? Well, we do want to know, but the bigger deal is the pursuit. And as we kind of unpack that, we're reminded that God in his pursuit of us, who could overtake us and overpower us, embeds in his very character the idea that you and I are free. So that while he loves you, while he wants you in his life, you're free to say no. I am free to say no. And last week, I wish I had been able to be here. I was, I was in Michigan and uh, visiting our, our children. All of our children got together in Michigan, and we spent a little more than a week together. So that's where I was, even though a little part of my, my heart and my mind and my brain was right here as Pastor Tim talked about this foundational piece of a, of a building of faith that comes roaring out of 
most every page of scripture, this call to community, to not walk alone. And today, we go a little bit further. Now, uh, anybody here uh, a puzzle fan? You like making puzzles? Anybody by raise of hand? You like making puzzles? Okay, a few of you. Uh, I love, love, love puzzles. I love human puzzles, tricky as they can be. What is it that's going on? Why are they doing that? What will happen next? I love organizational puzzles, how to figure out how things are going to all snap and fit together. I love uh, math puzzles. I just am not a super fan of puzzles that come in boxes that you snap the cardboard pieces together or whatever they're made of. In fact, in fact, um, again, I think I saw someone right back here. Is a, this young lady in the dark, dark dress or, I don't know, shirt, dress, something. Anyway, dark hair. How about we go with that? Um, I think you raised your hand, and then the next person beside you raised their hand. Here's what I want to pledge to you. <clears throat> if I were to show up at your, your place or maybe rec room, and there you have a puzzle, on, the, I want to pledge to you that I will not do what is in my heart. Because what is in my heart in that moment? I'm not proud of this. Jesus is working on me. But what is in my heart to do is to walk up and look with interest at the puzzle, your progress, and maybe kind of pick a piece or two up and kind of study it as if I'm going to do something. And then slowly, when I know you're not looking, slip a piece into my pocket and just let you cook on that a while. I'm telling you, I'm gonna, I won't do it. But that is what is in my heart. Good news, Jesus saves even me. Key to many puzzlers is the box. I have a brother-in-law who once thought it would be really fun because of the people in my family that like putting puzzles together, of giving us a puzzle. Now, first of all, it was not a pretty picture. It was like scattered lines of paint. Just... And, though he did not come out with this, the picture on the cover of the box was not the picture of the puzzle. Yeah, this guy back here, you need Jesus like me. Yeah, yeah. In fact, what I've learned is the puzzle box picture is really, really important. And some of you have very, you know, very systematic ways of doing this. You're going to separate all the edge pieces, and then there are kind of these little groups of colors, and that blue isn't like this blue. It's a different part of the puzzle. But the box, the cover, the picture on the box, so important. And I just want to suggest to you today, as we are building our house of faith, the, the picture on the box It will help us as we look anywhere in Scripture. There is a a picture that that God tells us about what it all snaps together to look like. Not long ago, we were in this little book of 1 John. And in the fourth chapter, it says this, God is love. So if you are roaming around, say, in an Old Testament story, and there's this horrific, say, there, you can find some craziness. Just like you could find a piece that it's just like, I, can't, I don't even understand what to make of this piece of the puzzle. Know this, the picture that it all snaps into is a picture that God says, hey, the cover on the box, it all ends up, or it's not a part of this puzzle, it ends up with the picture that God is love.
We like talking about loving here. We'll regularly say love well. Love well. Maybe that's because there are all sorts of versions of fake love, small love. I'd like to talk, if you don't mind, about some of the largest versions of love, if you don't mind. Now, again, last week, I wasn't here. Uh, We were in Michigan with our kids. Now, my daughter came to me, and my daughter, Emily, and she came to me with some things in her hand. She said, Dad, I just, I apologize, but your Father's Day gift that I shipped to you came back to me because I had the wrong address on it. And so I thought I would save it tonight. Anybody here get really irritated when somebody walks up and says, I'm so sorry, I had this gift for you, and I forgot to give it to you, and so here it is now. And you go, well, no, I don't want it. No, no, of course. That's, yeah, let's have it. So, so she hands me these two pictures, two framed pictures, and I kind of lost it a tiny bit. Yeah. It, I don't, if you ever had a moment like that where somebody says something or it, it, it can be so unpredictable and that's when it gets you right in, I mean, right in the trachea, right? It's when, it's when you weren't expecting it, here it is and boom, one of the pictures is, is this one. Now, by the way, uh, so if I told you one of those two is me, then you'd probably guess it's the littler one and that's my mom. Just a bit before, a month before my second birthday. And I, I decided to bring those photos. They're, they're, the two are framed. They're on easels out here beside the bathrooms uh, on your way out. If you feel like taking a little closer look, maybe because you'd like to figure out a way to poke fun at my ears or something. But I, I tell you, she handed me this photo of my mom. I can barely talk about my mom. Because I, I just love her so much. And she's gone. She handed me that. And then a framed picture with a song in it. It's a song from 1950. Don't worry, you're not supposed to be able to read it right now. This is what you'll recognize when you go out in the, in the lobby if you want to take a look at it. But I'll, I'll show it a little bit larger too. 1950, Doris Day. I guess guys and dolls. I didn't realize as a child it was from a movie or that it was a love song between two adults. All I knew is my mom in a very sing-songy voice. You know how you talk with children? She would sing this song to me. And the words go a little like this. I love you a bushel and a peck. A bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. And I don't know if I said to you, give me, give me an approximate. What's a peck? Anybody? I don't, mm, a bushel, maybe a little closer. A bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. A hug around the neck and a barrel and a heap. Two other measurements we're not always clear on. And I'm talking in my sleep about you. And then the chorus, you bet your pretty neck. I bet your pretty neck, I, you bet your pretty neck, I do. And then my daughter and I agree, we're not, this is not actually a part of the song as you can find it, but it's what, how we remember my mom singing it. A doodly do. <laughs> I love you. A bushel and a peck and a heap and a barrel and usually raspberry kisses on my little boy neck. My mom, my mom, uh, 
She was witty, funny in a quirky way, in a mischievous way, a side-eye kind of way. Super smart. If you can open a newspaper, you just start pointing at errors. Don't play a word game with that woman. Became a self-taught accountant because she just loves numbers and finding problems. And had this incredible, remarkable way of convincing you that she loved you generously and there was no one in the world she loved more than you. I felt it. My brother, my sister, they felt it. My children, they felt it. My wife felt it. This powerful texture of love. Now, there's something about it that I want to talk about because we talk about love, but there's, a, there's an element of it that might not be what you've been thinking about that is Im- incredibly powerful. Uh, regularly, I would teach uh, young families. As I, <laughs> you know, it's really easy to be an expert in parenting when you don't have children. So I was a young youth director teaching parents, and then, of course, parent, teaching parents of teens before you have teenagers. I and mean, that's the best, because you can really be authoritative. But there's, there's, a, a, there's a, a notion that I would share, and I, I cannot go back and figure out where I even got it. It was based clearly on data. I, it rings true, too. It's this. If you want to convince your children that you love them, compellingly cause them to believe you love your spouse. It's interesting because we as, as husbands and wives of children, little children, just, uh, you know, soccer playing, band involved children, <clears throat> it can get out of control. And we might be tempted to think we've got to, we really, we don't have time for the relationship with our spouse because we've got to invest so much in our children and what What research tells us is they will decide what your love means by how they see it play out right in front of them between the two of you. And if there's not love that they're seeing between mom and dad, then when you say the words and you act certain ways, it isn't as believable that you love them. So don't skimp. Help your child know that you love them. Spend energy on loving your spouse. I heard one author ask the question I want to get to a little bit this way. What is the smallest number? I almost yodeled there. What is the smallest number of, of individuals required to demonstrate the greatest levels of love? Let me repeat it. What is the smallest number of people? One, you can love yourself. But to demonstrate the greatest levels of love, I think we could, I mean, surely, if, if you could demonstrate the greatest levels of love with 100 people, I'm not so sure you couldn't demonstrate those same levels of love with 99. You know, last week, maybe 651 
So we had 650 chairs in here, so that's 651st. Okay, maybe just even having a few people scoot in next to you, that's detesting your love. How many, how many does it take? Well, surely it takes at least two, yeah? Surely it takes at least two. Don't you think? Yeah. But see, there's something that Kim and Luis know that anybody here who doesn't have children may not know. And that is, it is a different love when you add the third. You see, if it's just me and my wife, we get to spend ourselves entirely on each other. I don't even have to share myself with somebody else. As soon as little Selena comes along, now mom and dad have to share. There are a couple of reasons why this is so powerful. First of all, it is that principle that when there are at least three, now I have to be more selfless. I have to actually not capitalize on what I want out of the relationship all the, all the time. By the way, if it requires at least three human beings to demonstrate the greatest levels of love, hang with me here, wouldn't it be surprising for there to have been a time where there weren't at least three of someone who says, you want to know who I am? I am love. I don't know about you, but it's an interesting conversation these days sometimes we have about whether Jesus is really God or not whether there's a trinity or not. It's an interesting idea that I would have a higher demonstration of love than what God himself would have. God is love. There's another reason, and this is powerful, there is another reason why three are able to involve love in a way that two are not. And that is because I now not only get to love that person, but I get to observe what love looks like from that person from just a little distance. Think about it. My daughter, I know what she was doing. She handed me these two photos, and what she was doing is she was saying, Dad, I love you. But she didn't give me a picture of her and me. She could have. What she did was she gave me a picture and lyrics from a song that she knew. I would know what we're talking about here. Love. Bet your pretty neck. Love. And so she used a love that wasn't hers to demonstrate the love that is hers. A fascinating principle that isn't a principle that my daughter came up with on her own. It comes from the Bible. You recall it. You know, we were in this little book a few weeks ago. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John is saying, look, God is love. Yes, God is love. Being with God is to participate in that love. But see, love, if love comes to you and stops with you, it's not love. Love passes through you. And by the way, John is going to say, it's not just that what we're saying is God loves you and so you love God in return. No, you're now all about love. 
if you're not sure about this, back up a verse and read this. Dear friends, let us love who? One another. Because God is love. And to participate in his love is to say I'm open and it will pass through me. You see, love, when it's experienced, it's so powerful. It doesn't just affect you and that one other person. It affects you and how you relate to the world. Some of us, it's been a little while, but you remember that young love where you couldn't even stop talking with your friends about him or her? It's just like, no, not enough places to put it all. It's just like, and somebody might even be saying to you, man, you're, 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 uh, you're a little much right now. Because that's what love does. Some of us can't stop talking about it if it's just a spaghetti sauce we love or a pair of shoes. See, that's what love does. Love invades, invests, and exits us. And love is not a perishable commodity. It's a multiplying commodity. Somehow what my daughter's doing there is she knows that Our love, mine with my daughter, has been generated through things like my mom's love for me. She's admitting, your relationship with your mom is a part of what I feel in your love for me. And this is big. John will say this. How how, how is God so... This love thing, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Because you see, God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So, as is clear, God is love. It's the picture on the box. And he's calling us into that puzzle. He's calling us into that picture. He's calling us into love. But... To be clear, love is a pass-through experience. And powerfully, powerfully, it takes more than even just me and God to experience the highest levels of love. Think about it. He'll say this. You want to know who my people are? Check it out. My people are the people who can explain Leviticus. My people are the people who have the fewest doubts. My people are the people who behave correctly. That's not what he says. John will quote Jesus as saying, this is how everyone will recognize that you are mine. You will live out love toward one another and be people characterized by how You love because that love comes from somewhere. I am a dad the way that I am a dad in part because of how my mom and dad loved me. They taught me what love is and it's got to go somewhere. And that's true of us. I want to make a suggestion in, in form of a question. Do you think it's possible that loving Jesus by myself, in seclusion, is a lower form of love than loving Jesus in community. Is it possible 
that loving Jesus all on my own somewhere, see, I don't have to share. Jesus, by the way, is perfect. I don't have to deal with imperfection. I don't have to deal with frustration. Look, church is fine except for the people. Right? I mean, I mean, there's you and me. This is a problem already. I didn't even talk about her and him. You know, if I, if I, some, I know this, some, some of our the people that are here right now, I, I vibe with, we have chemistry, I, I, I know things that we agree all about, and, you know, I'm willing to go shoulder to shoulder, put myself on the line for you and you for me, and this is awesome, right? But what about the person I don't really understand? What about someone who's had their worst day and I saw it? You see, real love, you know, it's easy to love people I vibe with. The challenge comes when it's more than that. Is it possible that for the highest levels of love, there needs to be an us to all of that? Not just me and him. I'm going to say this, and Pastor Tim, I think, beautifully pinpointed a number of things last week talking about community. Look, one of the reasons community is so important is because you deserve to experience true, real love. And if, and if, and if you only heard that, that you, you, you deserve to have other people love you well, you are correct there, but you're too small there if you stop there. You deserve to have the opportunity to demonstrate and feel the love of Christ. What if the love of Christ we feel is in direct proportion to the love of Christ we give? That it's like a river flowing through and some of us might choose instead to dam up the wall of love from Christ. Let's just go be by ourselves, not have to deal with anybody who has a different opinion than me, not have to, come, you know... Ah. It's about sharing life together and staying with each other, even when that's a little tough. And by the way, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really count for what we're talking about to simply go visit, for instance, a community of faith and then go visit another one and then go visit another one. It's about actually deciding I'm, I'm wanting to and willing to be with you. Every great marriage knows the marriage is built on the idea I choose more than anyone else. I choose you. I can't say I always understand. And you are already aware of that. But you are my pursuit. You are my children. I want them to know more than anything else that there is nothing they can possibly do to make it so that I am not their dad. You could go get some legal emancipation thing if that were, they were the right age for that to be a thing. It won't matter. I, I'm still your dad. I, and, and not because I have the biology. I'm not talking about biology. I'm talking about 
my love is going nowhere but to you with regard to my... that's, That's it. Look, hey, there's this thing of what happens when you share love between one another, and it's, it's when it's tested most that it is most convincing. It's why the Bible keeps bringing up God so loved you that he sent him, that he gave up everything to be with you. And if you really want to experience what that love is like, you're going to have to give it away. And if you really want to give it away at the highest levels, you got to find some imperfection to give it to. You can't wait until you find perfection and only give it there. The Bible will say it, Paul will say it. He so loved you, he came and he died for you while you were messed up. While I'm a sinner, he dies for me. It's easy to love people who agree with me. It's easy to love people who I think kind of look like me. It's easy to love people that I have chemistry with, I vibe with. But the call to a body of believers is a call to a, a reckless, amazing love, the kind of reckless love Jesus has toward me. You bet your pretty neck. A bushel and a peck hug around that neck, a barrel, a heap. Doodly do. He loves you in a way that changes everything, not just between you and him, but between me and you. Well, I, uh, I will admit to you that I've had a private hope. It kind of grew up in me. I think I might have shared this with some. It grew up in me when uh, I was a child and living in a neighborhood where I noticed that there was a certain family that all the children in the neighborhood wanted to go to their house. Did you have that? Anybody experience that? That the the house in the neighborhood that all the children wanted to go to? And hopefully it wasn't just because the parents said, hey, knock yourselves out, burn something down, it's great. In fact, the really great situations were were those places where the parents being present made it all better. There was something, you know, I, I always thought of it as kind of like the cool house, the cool family. And I, I remember growing up and, and not being married, not having children, thinking to myself, you know, I sure, I want, I'd love it if to be, I want to be that family. We are all, my, where our kids, everybody just wants to be at our house. And a little twist on that, that, that as my children grew up, that they would, They'd rather be where we are. You know, there's this point in time in teenage life and maybe even young adulthood where it's like, you know, oh, dad. Dad. But that they would actually rather be with with us. And of all the prayers that I've prayed, that one has, it feels like, has come true. And our children, one of their biggest gripes is how far away we live from one another. And they don't like it when we leave. And they cheer about it when, we, when we're able to come. They, they want to be with us. Central somehow, central to this idea of what love is about is this wanting to be together. 
I can tell the love I have for Crosswalk as a family is growing because I, I find it hard to not be here when I know you're gathering. I want to, I want to, I, I want to be there, yeah, but I, I also just want, I want to be here with you. That is a central piece, a little bit of the fabric of what it means to love. You know, interestingly, one of, one of Jesus' favorite things to say to people when he would meet them for the first time would be, hey, why don't you follow me? And you might hear that and think that what Jesus is saying is, look, I, I, you know, you're not going to realize it, but I know some things about you that you would not think I know. And uh, I, am, I am conducting a class that I think you should enroll in. And so if you don't mind, come, I will teach you the ways. And hopefully I'll straighten out some, I mean, uh, I mean seriously, I'll, hopefully I'll straighten out some of your, your deal, your issues. Or, or maybe you've got a brokenness that you've been trying to fix, and that's what I'm talking about. Follow me and I'll fix your brokenness. And that's, so it's, that's a, a little bit different. I'll straighten out some of your bad thinking. I'll do it. I've come to believe that when Jesus said, follow me, what he's essentially saying is the same thing he was doing in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve in their first moments of sin. As God comes to walk through the garden, Jesus Christ calls their names asking, where are you? That when he says, follow me, what he's saying is, I want to be with you. How much? I'll die. I'll, I'll, I will risk everything before risking not being able to be with you. Yes, you're free. You get to choose. You decide. But here's the thing about Jesus, who is in this room right now, by the way. He came here to be with you. He's here to be with me. Can you hear the tune? I love you. A bushel, a peck, a hug around the neck, a barrel, a heap. You pet your neck. I do. If you're not sure that that's what Jesus was doing when he would ask people to follow him, he made disciples. And we use, you know, sometimes we use the word discipleship, and that's a strange word if you're out just kind of in, in general. We don't really use it as a kind of a business term. You know, have you, you've got some disciples in your organization, do you? Yeah, yeah. But what Jesus, I believe, is saying is these are people that I have asked, would you come and be with me? And they've said, I want to be with you. And we're just going to walk that walk wherever it takes us together. If you're not sure about it, check, check out this understanding of his request that you follow him. In Mark 3, Mark writes that he chose 12 disciples, 12 to be his apostles. Why? So that they could be with him. That is the heartbeat of God. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with me. And he wants to invite us to create the kind of community where we know this. You can mess up and I still want to be with you. You can disagree with me and I still want to be with you. We want to be together and we know that the highest levels of love come out when we are together. You and I, we are invited into this crazy and amazing place. Well, I would have to say it. Um, I believe that love at its core 
is doing whatever it takes to be together. To be together. And God has chosen to do whatever it takes. And now the question's for me. Do you want love or not? That little, that little girl, she needs you in ways she couldn't describe right now. But there will be a day when she can describe it. And it might come out in her actions. It might come out in her very words. I promise you, Luis, you're going you're to receive a phone call at some point and little Selena's going to be not little Selena anymore. And she's going to say, Dad, Dad, I need you. Oh, I hope you have the kind of relationship that that's a normal thing to hear. And that your heart springs up in that kind of doodly-doo way, right? A bushel and a peck, never doubt it. Because there is this, Paul would write it this way, you know this passage. He asked this central question, who? Who? Tell me who. Who or what? Who can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? He's been talking about persecution and difficulty and problems. And by the way, if you want to talk doubt, there is nothing that will spring doubt up in your mind like being persecuted wrongly. Difficulties that are unpredictable. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm convinced, Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor anything else, anything else in all of creation. What about my confusion? I'm convinced that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But what about when I doubt? Nothing on all of creation. Well, I'm, no, no, I'm talking the kind of doubt where I'm feeling like 50-50, you even exist. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. He's here right now singing in a little voice into your life. I love you. A bushel and a peck. And you get to choose. It's on me. It's on you. You know you want this kind of love. You know you do. Somebody here has just never said yes to it. And you need to. You deserve not to leave this room without the love that can only come from the one who can survive and surpass my doubts, my fears, my failures, my worst possible day. You deserve that Love. Be careful. Because it's a power unlike anything else. And it will shift you. And you will understand what it means to love even the unlovely. When you experience what God has for you.
Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com slash Chattanooga and click the Give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.